Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm so glad you've chosen today to tune in to hear what God is speaking to our congregation, and I hope it speaks to you as well. At the first of the year, we started a series looking at the word God spoke to us as our foundation for the year, and that word was manifestation. Here, halfway through the year, we've decided to go back and look at that word. So here we are again, looking at the series, Manifestation. I hope you enjoy. God bless. takes us at the end. Because I think God's going to set some people free in the room today to step into the calling that God has for their lives. And that doesn't mean necessarily the calling to preach however we're all called to do so. That doesn't necessarily mean the calling to evangelize five-fold wives, but we're all called to do so. It doesn't necessarily mean the calling to be a prophet or to prophesy, even though I think at moments we're all called to speak into people's lives for their future. So um, I want us to uh, take just a moment and picture, if you will, the most amazing water getaway. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a direction for just a minute with this. I want you to imagine not a beach. And not a perfect water destination that is God-made. But I want you to picture what you would put in your backyard. If you had all the money in the world and somebody that could come care for this pool for you. You see where I'm going. What would it look like? Would it have a cascading waterfall? Would it have a long slide? Would it be a light blue liner? Would it have a dark blue? What would this backyard escape look like? Now imagine what would it sound like? What kind of trickling sound would you hear? What would the wind feel like as it blew across your body as you were sitting out on the sun deck or the whatever? Would it have some kind of a grotto? Would it? What is it like? Don't worry about the payment that you must have. Don't worry about the children unattended. Just enjoy your moment. Saw a commercial yesterday of a man sitting in his perfect getaway, in his pool in the backyard, but he was out in the middle of a perfect ocean setting, sitting on his raft and there were dolphins swimming underneath him and the view was from up above down only when his eyes were closed that's what the picture saw but then when reality set in there were children swimming around him and it was his backyard but yet then it would go to non-reality and there there would be the dolphins and the tropical fish and then it would come back to reality and would be his child swimming with a shark fin attached to his back and the noises that would be attached with that. But as you're whatever it is like, as you're sitting in that perfect spot, enjoying that perfect moment, 
all of a sudden, all of a sudden it becomes interrupted by a whack of the most obnoxious, cool device, the most usable thing, the pool noodle. And I'm so sorry to yank you from what you thought I was going to take you to a glorious God moment, but I introduce the pool noodle. The moment that you can draw water in and blow through it and soak your neighbor or come next to it, whack it on the water and make the loud noises. But there's something for us men of striking that water that gives me, okay, I'll speak for myself for a moment, satisfaction. What does that moment that I just jerked you out of your perfect oasis for have to do with the message today? Very little except my sermon title today in Manifestation Week 3 is Strike the Water. Strike the water. I want to encourage us today to have some additional faith. We've been talking about faith for God to deliver the unexpected or the unknown in our lives. I want you to today believe God to deliver in your life the next step of your calling. What does that look like? Some of us are called to work with our hands and do that in a way that brings God in, in immeasurable glory. Some of us are called to make a difference in people's lives in the streets by helping them in a time of need. Some, some of us are called to minister to the addicted in a way that brings them out of the bondage of, of addiction into a life through deliverance ministry. Some of us are called to a ministry of peace. Not everyone is called to stand up here and deliver the words of God, maybe like I am, but some of us are in the room. And not all of us are called that way. Some of you in the room might be called to write and to publish materials. And some of you in this room might just be simply called to raise a family and do that miraculously. But I believe in the room today, the amount of the anointing or the calling, we can use those interchangeably, that you are walking in today. After today's message, there's going to be an impartation upon your life. Whatever that calling is in your life, there's going to be an impartation to walk in a double portion of what you're currently walking in. But I want to challenge you today that you will not miraculously, or maybe that's not the right word, you will not just automatically walk in that double portion. There's some things that you will need to do in order to step into that. And I've got to fix my earpiece because it keeps slipping. Hang on just a second. Better than a hairpiece. <laughs> Everyone in the room's like, yeah, you look weird with hair. I know a guy that was bald once, now he has hair. I don't know how that happened. But it looks like real hair. Anyway. Maybe. And if somebody wants to sponsor me into that program, I might try it. I just want a hard part. That's all I want. Just my whole head. So if you will, as we dive into God's word today, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. And we're going to learn to strike some water. We're going to learn to walk into the double portion of anointing to do what it is that God's called us to do as you do your part. 
do something that you're called to do in this life. Second Kings chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14, and I'm going to get this thing fixed, I promise. Alright, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Let's look at this. This is now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Stop right there. Don't go any further. Oh, go back, go back, go back, go back. I want to help you out for just a minute. There are two people in the Bible, Elijah and Elisha, that are super hard to get straight because their names are so close and they operate so closely together in succession of each other. So let me help you get it straight. Who came first, Elijah or Elisha? You ready for this? J becomes comes before S in the alphabet. Elijah comes before Elisha. I don't know if anyone else had that revelation, but that's how I keep it straight. So Jah becomes comes before Shah. So Elijah walked this earth before Elisha, or left this earth before. That's how I keep it straight. Anyway, this is all going microphone. All right. We can all go home, right? Revelation? You met Jesus today for that? Okay. Stupid. All right. Verse 2. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel, or Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. You can keep going now. I, don't, I may stop you. And then the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Everybody say, keep quiet. Verse 4, Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you live yourself, or you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. I'm going to stop there for just a second. I think it's quite interesting. We've got three steps, three progressions that have taken place so far in this passage of Scripture. We've got a moment in which Elijah says to Elisha, don't go with me. I, I'm going to go to my end. And I, there, there's a couple of ideas here that maybe Elijah didn't wanted to die in peace. He wanted to go to his end in peace. And uh, we can speculate that Elijah knew how he would go, that maybe he knew he would be taken away. We'll read about that in just a minute, how he ends his walk here on earth. Or maybe he didn't know, he just knew that this was his last days or last day on earth and he wanted to go in peace. Or maybe he was testing Elijah as to how dedicated he was to his mentor. Who knows? I, I don't want to speculate too far, but we could probably decide on our own. Maybe it's one of the two. And we've got this, that he goes from one place of prophets to another school of prophets. And we can also understand from this passage of Scripture that there were many people in study on how to be a prophet. There were many schools of prophecy in the area. And I think it's interesting that you come in and you've got all these guys, these prophets, kind of in, in a way... Uh, maybe strutting their feathers, so to speak. You've got this guy that has come from nowhere, and we'll study that out here in just a minute. You've got this pedigree of people that are 
called into the office of prophet that are studying and schooling to be prophets. And here comes Elijah and his sidekick, Elisha, who really is a nobody. And they come up to him and they say, don't you know that your master's going away or he's going to die? And kind of saying, Haha, we know this because God told us because we're prophets and we know how to hear what's coming up. And Elisha says to them, shut up. I know this. I already know this. You're not telling me something I don't already know. Uh, I'm just as good at hearing from God as you are. Nah, 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 nah. And so they go on. What does this have to do with personal application today? Not a lot. I just want to let you know that there were a lot of prophets in the land. But the best one of them at this point was Elijah. Uh, they all looked to him, thought he was the coolest, the biggest, the most amazing of them all. But yet he's going to go away. In their mind, it says here, the Lord will take away your master from over you. Seems kind of negative, doesn't it? The phrasing, the, the terminology, he's going to take the master away from you. And I think Elijah isn't going to let that happen. And I can point you to that here in just a minute. Elijah's got it in his mind that there's no way that Elijah is just going to disappear without Elisha having a moment of encounter for his own. And so we'll read further here in verse 7. Fifty men of the sons of the prophet also went away and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. I know. We're going to make this work once and for all. That feels better. Okay. 50 men, verse 7, of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, and they both were standing by the Jordan. Then, in verse 8, Elijah took his cloak and he rolled it up to stand at the edge of the Jordan. Water. Just out of nowhere, he took his cloak and he rolled it up and he struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and the other so the two of them could go over on dry ground. Say dry ground. Awesome. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He said, You have asked a hard thing yet. If you see me as I am being taken from you, you shall, it shall so be for you. But if you do not see it, it shall not be so. As they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how Jesus met two men at the top when he was transfigured into the likeness or into his deity? The Bible says that he met Elijah in that moment. Isn't that interesting? So this is the idea where we see that Elijah has been taken away. He doesn't die. He is just taken away by chariot. And it says, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces and then took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and I think he was standing there. He's got the oh, Elijah's cloak, Elisha standing there, right? And he's got this cloak that his mentor, his master is worn and he's looking around and he's going, 
wonder. Surely not. He struck the water, and it says right here, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Father God, I pray today that as we unfold together your mysteries to this word, they no longer be mysteries, but they be revelations for us today in this place. What I pray would be a word that challenges us to live more on point for you, God, we would grow in the goodness of who you are, we would become more and more like you, looking more like you and less like us. We look more like heaven and less like the world in Jesus' name. So I want to look at five observations today, kind of about our calling as we look at the calling on Elijah as he follows Elijah to the end of Elijah's life. Reading in the first part of this passage of scripture in 2 Kings verses 1 through 6, we saw this progression of Elisha being told by Elijah, stay here. He said, no, I'm not going to stay here. He goes from one place to the next, and Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. And he's like, no, I'm not going to stay here. And yet Elisha, see, I'm going to do this several times. I'm going to get the Joes and shows backwards, but that's okay. Know, know who I mean by knowing that J comes before us age, right? So he stops and says, no, I'm not going to stay here. And then they go on to another place. And he says, no, I'm not going to stay here. And so they come to the water and they cross together. And so in understanding in the first six verses, my first observation about calling on lives is you are responsible for pursuing your calling. Think about that. You see, Elisha was given many opportunities to fall off back away, but he didn't. There's going to be opportunities in, in the church environment. It doesn't matter whether you're here at, or at first, second, overcoming Pentecostal church holiness of God and whatever. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're at the first Baptist church or the 18th Baptist church. It doesn't matter where you sit. You're going to have opportunities to be overlooked, forgotten. You're going to have opportunities to have dreams and desires and not be given those opportunities to step into what you believe, but you have got to grab hold of what you believe God has called you to do and step into it and make those things happen as long as you're in line with the vision of the house that God has put you in. You're going to have opportunities to be offended and back away, but if God has called you to a specific house, he's called you to step in and pursue what he has called you to do. You see, it's my job as pastor of a house to help equip you for the giftings and the callings for the work of ministry. But it is not my job to pursue it for you. You've got to pursue it. There might be times when I, you feel like I've put a thumb or, or whoever, wherever you are, that the man of God of the house or the pastor of the house has put his thumb on you and stifled what you think you're called to do. But you have got to say, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to make the effort. I'm going to step in. And I'm going, now you can't do it in um, rebellion. You've got to do it in unity. But you are responsible for pursuing. Go to school. Research and figure it out. Sometimes when the, the pastor or the leadership of the church that you're in isn't releasing you to do something, it's because they don't know how to release you to do that which you're called to do. 
Sometimes when they aren't releasing you or helping you or equipping you to step into the ministry that you think you're called to do, it's because they don't have a clue themselves. And God has given you the dream, so he's given you the desire to pursue it and to develop it and figure out how to do it yourself. Now, they'll pray with you. They'll encourage you and they'll resource you to every possible way. I will pray with you. I will resource you and I will equip you in every way I possibly can. But you have got to take responsibility for the call of God on your life and the dreams that you believe he has called you to dream for and to fulfill in ministry. And more importantly than anything, just do something. If he's called you to feed the, 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 uh, the hungry in our area, there's no place to do that. Find a shelter in another community and begin to work with them and learn how to do that. If he's called you to help the addicted, but you don't know how to do that, find a place. Get involved in jail ministry. Do something. Start somewhere. Just saying. Do something. And then in verse 7, uh, we see where there are these 50 men. This is just before... They cross, this is Elijah and Elisha about to cross over the Jordan before the striking of the ground. It says, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they both were standing, as they both were standing by the Jordan, observation two, there are many with the proper background and training, but you have the calling. Stand with the man of God. See, some, some scholars believe that the time frame in which Elisha followed Elijah was about 18 years. What we know, it was several years. Whether it was 18 years or 10 years or 6 years, the important thing, it was as many, many years, and they were very close. I want to go back, if I can, to 1 Kings 19 and show you how they met, because I think it's significant in playing out in this story of how they met. And in verse 19 of First Kings, it says, so he departed from there and found Elisha. So he being Elijah departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was in the 12th and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and he cast his cloak upon him and he left the oxen and he ran with Elijah and he said, let me kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? And he returned from following, or he returned from following him, and took the yoke from the oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh and the yokes and the oxen and gave it to the people, and then they ate. Then he rose and went after Elijah and he assisted him. You see, when he, when Elijah found Elisha, he didn't come from a pedigree. He wasn't. He didn't come from a lineage of prophets or men of God. He was a farmer. He was a plowing with oxen. But I think what's really interesting, what really set Elisha apart, is not only did he say, I'm going to follow this man, but he took away any excuse that he had to go back. He got rid of his plan B. You see, he sacrificed the tools that he had to go back to, the oxen. He made a feast for the people. He could not go back to what he knew. All he could do was pursue the calling. He had to stand with the man of God. You see, God chooses many times the insignificant. There was a line of prophets with the necessary pedigree, but God chose Elisha. It has nothing to do with who I am or what my talents are. It has everything to do with the one who is calling. Now, he will use my past, he will use my giftings, and he will use my talents, but those are not the qualifiers. 
God is the qualifier. Name, pedigree, and past, they aren't relevant. Jesus is the one that was relevant. We've got to remember, even last week, we talked about some things when it came to the condition of the heart. But it's not the condition of the heart that causes God to move in our lives. It's the position of our heart. It's our openness and willingness to be in a place that allows God to move in our lives. So observation number two, you have the calling to stand with the man of God. And in verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak and he rolled it up and he struck the water. We just read all of this. You see, in coming to the Jordan, and coming to this place of the striking of the water, observation 3, there is a transition from calling to fulfillment. There's a transition from calling to fulfillment. Oftentimes, the fulfillment starts with us answering this question, or answering a very important question. And I don't think Aunt, uh, Elisha answered the question the way Elijah thought he would. And the question is this. What shall I do for you? Makes me think. I didn't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about this earlier when I was kind of rethinking about the message this time. This uh, the, uh, About this message. It makes me think of uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, there's a man that we've, many, if we've been in church any given time, have heard of this guy. We've coined him or given him the, the, the title Blind Bartimaeus. This man is sitting here in chapter 10 of Mark, sitting in verse 46, and it says, And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great, with and with his disciples and a great crowd. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began, Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And he called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And then throwing off his cloak. There's so many similarities between... This story and what we're reading about with Elijah here. He's throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it interesting? When it comes to our calling, when it comes to stepping into the destiny that God has for us. So many times he will uh, present himself to us. But then he just simply asks, what do you me to do for you. There was a young king that was in the presence of God and God looked at him and said, what do you want? You can have all, everything. You can have wealth, you can have riches, whatever. And he says, I want wisdom. Because he asked or answered the question the right way, he got all the wealth. He built a great temple to house the presence of God. And in this story here, we've got Bartimaeus, and he says to Jesus, after Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go away, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. He followed him. Jesus likes to ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? In this scenario that we're talking about today, Elijah looks at Elisha and he says, 
what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want a double portion of your money. I don't want just what you have. I want twice as much of it. I don't think Elisha answered the question the way Elijah thought he would. But he answered it. Elijah <laughs> imagine sat there for a moment and thought, how am I going to do this? How can I give him more than what God did in me? So in his wisdom and in his closeness to God, he just simply says, well, if you're present and can see what God does in the next few moments in my life, then let it be. Gave it to God. Let God deal with the moment. And in this transition that we have here, we've got him approaching the Jordan. There are four occurrences of the Jordan being parted in the Bible. We've got the first occur, uh, occurrence, and we've talked about this recently, and this is when Moses comes to it with Israel. And in this transition, we've got a great transition because we see Egypt transitioning from bondage into their journey. Or we could say from Egypt to the wilderness. And then a little bit later, 40 plus years later, a generation later, we see Joshua in Egypt. And there's another transition of the parting of the Jordan. And, and, and this transition, we see the wilderness to the promised land. And then we've got Elijah's occurrence. And this is his transition to heaven. And as this parting begins to take place, we've got my fourth observation. Because we've got Elijah, and he's being taken up in a whirl, into a whirlwind. And Elisha does something very significant. He says, my father, my father, verse 12, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and, and, and he saw him no more than he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. He disrobed, he took off that which represented who he was. My observation for we must remove that which defines who we were and take up who God wants us to be. Now, in today's present time, in today's place of the cross, we find that in the process of salvation when we take up the robe of righteousness, when we take up who Jesus says we are, when he says, you are no longer sinners, you are my saints, you are no longer living in your past, you are walking into my future. But in this scenario, in this place of transition, we see Elisha doing something very significant because he then takes up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and now he's standing in the Jordan. And we see a transition in Elisha where he transitions from just follower, mentee, student to prophet of the nation of Israel. And he takes up the cloak that had fallen from him and he went back and he's standing there at the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, 
Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And I don't think he's asking that in a voice of disdain. I don't think he's coming to God and saying, Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? But he's saying, Where is the Lord? Let him demonstrate himself today. And when he had done this, when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. And Elijah went over. So my fifth observation from this story it's spoken very simply, but very clearly and with tons of passion. Do something impossible. Strike the water with your calling. Do greater works. And that takes me to a New Testament example found in John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking in this moment and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house or many rooms. If it were not so, what I told you that, if you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, check this out, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. You do know him. Sorry, it's an important phrase there. You do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, and Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I not, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know him? Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and that the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Believe on the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you in verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whoever and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, this scenario here, we've got Jesus looking at his disciples, and he doesn't come right out and say, What do you want me to do? Just simply says, ask it in my name. Ask it in my name. Ask it in my name. And so when we look at it in context of this story with Elijah and Elisha, where Elisha is now taking on the mantle, the anointing, the power, and the authority of his master, of his predecessor, we see that he can go out and he can do things in a certain authority. But Jesus is telling us that we can do greater things because of his authority passed on to us by the virtue of his name. So I lied to you just a little bit ago. I said you have five observations, but I have a bonus observation. My bonus observation is this. God is calling us to a life that is greater with him. That's really the ultimate in our calling. You see, with Elisha, he went on to do twice as many miracles as Elijah. As a matter of fact, Elijah 
had 16, or I'm sorry, had eight recorded miracles in the Bible, and Elisha had 16. Think about that. There were some differences, though, about their ministries. Elisha had some a completely different personality to who he was from what Elijah was. Elijah was a prophet of the wilderness, where Elisha was a prince in the court. Elijah had no settled home where Elisha enjoyed the peace of a home. Elijah was known by his long hair and shaggy mantle, and Elisha by his staff and bald head. Oh. By the way, right after Elijah, just a little side note, right after Elisha had crossed the, the Jordan and gone back, there were some young kids, and they were making fun of him for his bald head. And he looked at those young kids, and he spoke a curse over them, and a bear came out of the wilderness and ate them. So I'm going to tell my kids, quit messing with me over my bald head, or a bear's going to come out of, no, I would never ask for a bear to come out and eat my kids. But I'm just saying, I read that, and I was like, yeah, you go, Baldy. Yeah, Bald is beautiful. Anyway. Elijah was mainly prophetic, while Elisha's work was mainly, mainly miraculous. Elijah's ministry was one of stern denunciation. Or denunci yeah, denunciation. Well, that's a fun word. Elisha's task was that of teaching and winning. Elijah was a rebuker of kings. Elisha was a friend and admirer. Elijah was a messenger of vengeance. While Elisha was a messenger of mercy. Elijah represented exclusiveness. Elisha stood for comprehension. Elijah was fierce, fiery, and energetic. Elijah, that was Elijah. Elisha was gentle, sympathetic, and simple. Elijah was a solitary figure. While Elisha was more social. Elijah had an extraordinary disappearance from earth. We just read that. Elijah's death was ordinary. See, as Elisha, as he approached the water after Elijah was taken up, he had to be thinking of the men that had gone before him in part of water. I wonder if he stood there and he went, hmm, Moses did this. Joshua parted the waters. He just watched Elijah do it. The big question today, the big thing that we need to ask ourselves in regards to our calling and the pursuit of what we are do when it comes to representing God and all that we are and all that we do is this. Did God show up for you? Wonderful life. Shah was standing there with the cloak ready. He goes, huh. Will God show up for me? Maybe he stood there and he was like, well, I think we might have crossed a little bit. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the place where he shows up. Will God show up for me? And I'm going to tell you this morning, he had to strike the water to find out. And I want to tell you today, you have to strike the water to find out. You have to step into the unknown, into territories that you've never stepped into to find out if the greater anointing is resting upon you for that which God has called you to do. And I'm absolutely certain as I'm standing here today that until you step into the unknown territory, you will not know if God is in it and if you believe that God has called you to do it he will not leave you alone had Elisha not struck the water he'd have never gone back to the other side and he would have never stepped into the extra amazing anointing that God had called him to step into he would have just stayed ordinary he'd have never prophesied 
but he prophesied. There would have been a woman in the land of Shunem that had never seen her son come back to life. There would have been miracles that had never been accomplished. Was it Elijah or was Elisha that, that spread his? It doesn't matter. What matters is we have got to step into that which God has called us to do. And oftentimes, he doesn't turn the light on until we step into the water. Oftentimes, he doesn't give us the provision until we step into the faith. Oftentimes, he doesn't open Open up the understanding until we step into the unknown. He will not oftentimes give us the how until we step into the uh. Strike the water. My last question for you today is what is your Jordan? Or more clearly, what is your transition. Don't know if I can answer that for you, but I know that you will face a moment that will 100% require an intervention from God. And when you face that impossible moment, you will look back to today I will strike the water. I will strike the water. I don't know what you're looking at today, what miracle you need to have in your life to step into the next place of your calling. But I have got to tell you, strike the water. We've seen Kayla do it in the last week or two as we're preparing for our outreach as we're going to try to cut hair and, and backpack over or close to 100 students getting ready to go back to school. Look at the room. We're going to try to do an outreach and impact 100 kids in, in the Miami area as they get ready to go back to school. But since we struck the water, we're over halfway there. And God is doing the miraculous provision for something that is beyond our capabilities. We've watched a family in the church say, it's impossible for what we've got to do with our finances, but we're going to honor God first with our finances. And they have seen God deliver all week long in the area of finance over their lives as they struck the water. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do this week? strike the water? Are you going to step into a greater anointing? Are you going to experience a greater intervention of heaven in your life as you walk into what God has to do in your life? Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we can use your support. There's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiami.com. 
www.wlmiami.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. And click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.